If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Mark and I'm part of the team here at Saints. For those of you wondering if you've just switched on uh, BritBox by accident, uh, I am English. I grew up in Manchester. This is not an episode of Coronation Street. Uh, Becky and I have uh, just spent the last few years in Northern Ireland and recently moved to Texas in August. Uh, to, to be part of the Pays movement and to, to work with teams here around the world and uh, to be part of getting this church up and running and we're excited to see what God has been doing over the last few months. Um, I suppose one of our main observations though has been that everything is bigger here in Texas. Your trucks are bigger, your Christmas decorations are bigger and I suppose best of all your stakes are bigger. I'm, I'm particularly uh, a fan of that. Uh, and and uh, we're loving our time here so far. So anyway, it's a, it's a real privilege to be kicking off our new series for Christmas. I'm really happy to be leading off uh, the series by exploring the Christmas story from uh, the host's perspective, from the innkeeper's perspective, and thinking about how we can make room for more. And, um, you know, I love Christmas. Uh, as a family, we love Christmas. Uh, it's all about celebration. Um, you know, around about this time of year, we would be normally out um, at choosing a Christmas tree. Uh, we'd be normally around at our friends, um, some of our best friends, uh, where they would live uh, on a farm. We would go out and we would choose uh, one of the trees on their land um, and we would chop it down. Uh, we'd tie it onto the roof of our car and haul it home, um, hoping that by the time we get home there would be enough needles still on the tree that it would resemble uh, the Christmas tree um, and hoping that we would have driven fast enough that any kind of wildlife uh, would have been loosened and uh, left by the side of the road. Uh, we have, I always had visions of, uh, I think it was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, I always had visions of a squirrel leaping out and uh, taking me by some surprise but um, you know uh, we love Christmas we love uh, the traditions that we have um, along with it you know um, uh, even some of the slightly mad traditions that uh, as families we create you know uh, uh, Christmas Eve Becky and I would take the boys outside we'd um, uh, we'd we'd have created a homemade magical concoction of glitter and oats and we would uh, spread it out on the driveway on the grass uh, for the reindeer um, you know and uh, you know some of these traditions that we create as families are, are a little bit mad but they are the thing that kind of uh, unites us as a family and make it feel like Christmas so I love it. I love the food. I love the the uh, social occasions. I love the um, the decorations. I love the sort of sense of joy that many of us have as we go through December. And um, I love most of all, I guess, what it represents. I love that it represents this uh, incredible, glorious moment uh, that our great creator uh, broke into our um, our world with. Um, a redemption plan. I love that um, it represents this this moment in history where God became one of us, um, and we have this beautiful um, phrase that we we bring out at Christmas called it Emmanuel, the moment that God um, took human form and uh, and His redemption plan, His redemption story, His redemption strategy took um, the form of a most unlikely turn of events, and I love how December is this. 
uh, incredible month of um, of celebration, this incredible month of uh, of waiting, and this incredible month of remembering and marking Advent, marking this moment in history, this 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 moment where um, our our, re our redemption uh, became a reality, and uh, for us. Advent is one long celebration. December is this one long month of celebration where we celebrate as we wait for the promise that we know is coming. The promise of the Messiah to restore our relationship with the Father. The promise of Emmanuel, God here with us on earth, changing everything for generations to come. Of course, the first Christmas would have been really different. It would have looked completely different from ours. There was probably no tinsel, no reindeer, no eggnog, and almost certainly no snowy landscapes. You know, in the UK, we would give Christmas cards of these incredible winter wonderlands with a, uh, a robin somewhere in the distance and a, a winter landscape, a fresh, um, uh, fresh snowy scene. And, um, you know, it almost certainly looked nothing like that. It was, of course, set in Bethlehem, a small Middle Eastern village set in the backdrop of the desert and mountains. Uh, Bethlehem nestles in the southern portion of the Judean mountains. It was 45 miles northeast of what is now Gaza City and the Mediterranean Sea. It was 47 miles west of the Jordan and only six miles south of Jerusalem. It was a hot dusty, small, rural village steeped in Jewish tradition. Many of us would be familiar, familiar with it as the birthplace of King David. So with that in mind, let's pick up our text in Luke. We find it in Luke 2, the story of um, the birth of Christ. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that the census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census, and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He travelled there from a village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged and was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. For many of this, uh, for many of us, sorry, this this text probably conjures up cute memories of nativities that we've sat through. Um, you know, rows of proud parents staring on as a young lad wearing his father's bathrobe uh, with a tea towel on his head smugly announces, there's no room in the inn, uh, only to quickly and graciously concede that they can use the stable. And it seems that renditions of the nativity get more and more creative every year. A few years ago, uh, superheroes and Power Rangers took part in one of our boys' school productions. And uh, the superheroes even had a fight uh, in the middle of the nativity because one of them was stood in the wrong place. But digging beneath our modern understanding, um, the story, of course, is undercurrents deeply rooted in the Hebrew manners and customs of that time. And many, many, many scholars um, have various theories of what really might have happened on that first Christmas some argue that Luke um, uses a word that would probably be better translated as guest house. 
uh, notice the text here that we've used the, the NIV has gone for lodging uh, and some um, conclude that far from a, a stable um, as we understand it um, in our culture far from that kind of a stable it was probably more likely to be a living room uh, the main living area um, of a, a, a Jewish um, a Jewish villager's house um, maybe a family member um, or a, a, a close family friend. Um, you know, uh, many argue that Luke's contemporaries who he was writing for, having grown up in the Middle Eastern um, uh, culture, probably understood Luke to be communicating this. Um, you know, uh, oftentimes in those uh, big living areas, there would have been a manger uh, uh, cut into the floor or dug into the floor um, because they, they would bring the, the animals in of an evening. They would bring them in to keep them safe uh, and give them shelter of an evening. And um, so it, it, it could be that often these family areas would double as a stable and the suggestion being that maybe the, the guest uh, room, the the, the the place that the family would have hosted guests was maybe full or occupied because uh, of this census. Maybe they had other relatives who had got there beforehand. Um, and so there was no room other than this main room for Jesus to be born. And he was placed, of course, in that manger because there was no crib. So Regardless of whether it looked like a Hallmark Christmas card with a, a quaint, a rickety stable, or whether it was uh, this uh, family room, whether or not the host was an innkeeper or a family member, uh, there's uh, several things that I think this story highlights. And as we come into land, I want to unpack them for a few minutes. Firstly, interruptions may be invitations from God for something more. Perhaps if you're anything like me, you don't like interruptions. You know, I used to uh, often disappear to a coffee shop um, in, uh, in the little town where we were from in Northern Ireland to avoid the steady stream of interruptions that would arrive by my desk. Uh, the steady stream of questions that people would want to ask me, the steady stream of, um, of problems that people would want me to solve. Um, I would disappear uh, to a coffee shop and work from there so that nobody could interrupt me because I found interruptions frustrating and I found them irritating. So if you're anything like me, perhaps you're reading this story thinking it would be a strange moment for a family member to arrive at your door, having travelled a huge distance on a long, hot, arduous journey, interrupting your normal rhythm of life, asking for a hot meal and a place to stay while they were in town. But it was that moment, that interruption that led to this incredible uh, opportunity, this incredible moment in history that we find God's redemption story breaking into our world, breaking into our story. A few years ago, I was rushing through our church as one service came to a close. I was leading the youth service that morning and I had a tight turnaround. Our church ran two services back to back and I had a tight turnaround to get everything ready for the following service. But a friend of mine approached me and with a pretty serious look on his face, grabbed my arm and wanted to pull me to one side. I apologised and as hastily as possible, I tried to get on with the tasks I had on my list. But he insisted 
He insisted in explaining that a friend of his had recently been diagnosed with throat cancer and several weeks before he'd been given only several months to live. He'd come to church that morning desperate and hungry for some kind of hope. It was his first time, I believe, and my friend was so happy that he'd made this decision to come to church um, and engage with an environment where he uh, knew that, that, that people... Um, often were healed and people often came more alive because they met with Jesus. He was so pleased that he'd taken this decision to come for the first time um, and wanted me to go and help pray. It was an interruption that in that moment I couldn't refuse. It was an interruption that in that moment I chose to put aside my uh, to-do list and chose to go and uh, participate um, in uh, in in praying with him for his friend. So I made the diversion. I introduced myself and we prayed. To be honest, nothing spectacular particularly happened at that moment. The man seemed to appreciate it nonetheless. And a few months later, when I met him again, I heard um, and we celebrated as he explained that his cancer had since gone into remission. And soon after his, after his visit, the doctor had given him the all clear. Totally amazing, right? And it was an incredible privilege that in that moment, I played a part in his uh, story of healing. An incredible privilege that we have uh, the opportunity to engage with the Father and participate with him in the expansive life-giving coming of his kingdom and the moment that people come more alive. Imagine for a moment a distant family member turning up weary, as I say, from a long, arduous journey. In those moments, we have a choice. When interruptions arrive, we have a choice whether we want to play a part in uh, the glorious future, whether we play a part in his kingdom coming, whether we play a part in those people coming more alive. For some of us, maybe we're already experiencing interruptions. Maybe we're already experiencing moments where our regular rhythm of life is interrupted. Or perhaps we may experience this over the coming Christmas season. And I want to encourage us to think about how we respond and how we choose to respond to those moments. And whether we begin a conversation with the Father that asks the question of how can we participate in his um, glorious uh, kingdom how can we participate in the future that he wants to open before us because often the unexpected leads to the extraordinary and that's the moment that's that's the the point that i want to i want to i want to draw our attention to secondly the unexpected can often lead to the extraordinary a couple of years ago i took a trip around about this time of year i took a trip with a friend down to the bottom of ireland uh, to a town called cork where we lived, we were at the right at the top uh, in Northern Ireland, and uh, this trip was about six hours right down to the bottom. Uh, Ireland is only a small nation. Uh, I think once I figured out how many times Ireland would fit into Texas, and it, it, I don't know, it was it was some daft amount of uh, times it would it would uh, fit into Texas as a as a state, let alone the USA. But just down the bottom was about a six-hour drive, and uh, I'd uh, about halfway down pulled into a coffee uh, shop. 
uh, pulled into a service station uh, and um, as I was coming back out of the service station my car started to splutter, it started to shudder and it started to jolt and um, I realised that my car uh, was uh, not sounding good, that I couldn't go on any further. I pulled up the hood and took a look at the engine and noticed that the the, uh, her, the, the hose pipe that was um, um, uh, kind of I suppose coming out of the top seemed to be the only thing holding it on and the engine was lopsided and looked like it was about to fall out. As I uh, called out the roadside assistance, they confirmed that my car was no longer drivable and we took it to the local garage. I had a choice to make because I was directly in between, um, I was directly in between the uh, the town I was going to and the town I had come from. It was as far for me to go home as it was for me to continue on. And so in those moments, Phil and I, my friend and I, made the decision to continue on. And um, we spent uh, we spent the money that we had with us to get a coach ticket and get down to the town that we were meeting some friends and we were um, in, engaging with a team that we uh, had down there and we were working with a local church. The problem was that um, um, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland have uh, different economies and I spent all the money that I had to get down there. We had about 15 euros left and in the morning we woke up and decided what were we going to do. We thought, okay, we'll go to McDonald's. It's nasty, but it'll fill a hole, and it's the cheapest way we could do breakfast, we figured. So off we went to McDonald's, and um, and as we uh, got there, we realised um, that there was a homeless person sat outside, so we invited him to breakfast. We split the 15 euros three ways, and uh, we prayed that God would multiply that money. Uh, it was a moment of faith. It was a, a moment of inspiration. Uh, we we just uh, invited God to do what he does uh, so often and provide for us over the next couple of days. Well, later that day, uh, we went to a meeting with a minister at lunch. Now, those meetings are normally fairly serious. Uh, they're, they're normally uh, meetings where we discuss what teams can offer them as churches uh, and what um, we um, offer uh, as an organisation, and uh, not normally fundraising meetings, not normally meetings where we ask for money or anything like that, but as the mate meeting came to a close, the minister offered us 50 euros, and he said, I, I feel just feel like God's putting it on my heart to give you this. Uh, at first, we, we sort of wanted to, uh, to de decline as politely as possible, but then we realised this was exactly what we prayed for earlier that day, and so we graciously, as possible, accepted it and thanked him uh, profuse, profusely, probably a little bit too much, uh, but we explained what had happened and explained uh, what uh, kind of we prayed for and, and accepted it, thanking him that he was an answer to our prayer. Later that evening, we, we, we spent um, some of that money on dinner, uh, and then we paid for the couple behind us. We paid for their dinner as well, and um, went on our way. We didn't think anything of it later that evening when we, uh, after dinner, when we, we met with friends and they gave us a Christmas card because, as I say, it was about this time of year and it was Christmas time. But it wasn't until later that evening when I got back to the hotel, I opened that Christmas card and found that uh, they had put 200 euros inside it for us. So that paid for us to get home, that paid for the uh, things that we needed for the rest of the trip and what we had left over, we, we, um, we 
passed on to a friend of ours who was um, asking if we could help um, with donations because they were um, setting out a, uh, a new church plant. Uh, they were uh, going to be church planting in the coming months. So, you know, it was totally unexpected. And uh, the unexpected in that moment led to an extraordinary story of God's provision. And as trivial as that almost seen, seems, the unexpected in the story of, of this first Christmas led to this extraordinary moment in history, this extraordinary moment where God's love and grace and mercy uh, uh, tangibly, tangibly became, um, became human in human form. And one of the true marvels of the host story from the first Christmas is how making room for the unexpected led to the most extraordinary miracle of all, the redemption of humanity. You know, making room changes everything. So as we come into land, the last uh, point that I want to highlight is that making room for um, Jesus changes everything. Jesus is a game changer. As I said earlier, I grew up in Manchester and like most English teenagers, I followed uh, football or what you guys would know as soccer. My team was Manchester United and when I first started following them, they wallowed somewhere at the bottom of the league. But there was hope in the form of a new manager. His name was Sir Alex Ferguson or at the time he was only Alex Ferguson. He's since been knighted by the Queen because of uh, his incredible achievements in sport. What Sir, uh, what Sir Alex did for Manchester United was truly remarkable. But one of his most effective um, uh, strategies and tactics, if you like, was his super subs. Uh, one in particular called Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, and he uh, was nicknamed the baby-faced assassin because he was so accurate near the net. Uh, and in particular, one uh, season he helped clinch the Champions League, uh, which was um, the third uh, title that we won that year, giving us uh, the three most prestigious, prestigious league uh, titles in Europe that year. He was a game changer and Fergie would bring him on with 10 minutes to spare and uh, within minutes of the final whistle, he would often score several goals and turn around a game that perhaps United were drawing or even losing at times. He would turn it around in an instant and uh, propel United to winning the match. He was a game changer. But more so, Jesus is a game changer. In both uh, uh, yours and my lives, Jesus has changed everything. Jesus in this first Christmas was a game changer. He changed the way that we could engage with the Father. No longer would we have to um, have to go through elaborate rituals and sacrifices to gain favour with the Father. No longer would we have to go through um, a priest in order to um, engage with the Father. Because of Jesus, redemp a redemption story was set in motion that meant that we could know the Father in a personal relationship, that we could know him um, personally. I want to read you something that I wrote in a, in a book I wrote for Pays 
a couple of uh, years ago. I want to read it to you because uh, it says uh, probably better than I can I can say without uh, without reading it. It, it says um, something uh, about Jesus. Jesus is a game changer. He's the kind of friend who, if you arrange to meet for coffee, you should pack a toothbrush and a spare pair of underwear. Although he'd probably tell you not to bring anything with you for the road. Because you never know what might happen. The disciples went on all kinds of adventures with him. Preaching trips, healings, exorcisms, divine provision of food, finance, business, a transfiguration, weather control, moments that defy the laws of physics, righteous vandalism. It all happened, but everywhere he went, people came more alive. Tax collectors, prostitutes, terrorists, beggars, blind, lame, deaf, mute, outcasts, and even the dead were transformed in some way or another. They came more alive when they encountered Jesus. Jesus is a game changer. And as we come into land, what I want us to remember and what I want to encourage us to think about today and as we go through the Christmas season, uh, Christmas season, sorry, Jesus is a game changer. He's changed everything. Because of him, we can become more alive. Because of him, our world can be transformed. Because of him, your workplaces can be transformed. Because of him, your um, neighbourhoods can be transformed. Because of him, your families can be transformed. There is nothing impossible that stands in the way. Whatever you are staring down uh, today, whatever you are facing today, whatever adversity, whatever uh, dilemma, whatever you are facing today, there is nothing that he cannot change. And so as we look to this Christmas season for inspiration, my prayer for us is that whatever we are staring in the face, that hope will rise as we wait. That hope will rise as we declare him the ultimate game changer. As we declare him king over, sovereign over every and any situation. Over our neighbourhoods, over our families, over our workplaces. And my prayer is that those places would come more alive as we carry his kingdom, as we carry his presence into those spheres, into those environments, into those um, places, that we would be people of influence, that we would embrace interruptions and the unexpected that life may throw at us, and we may begin conversations with the Father that lead to extraordinary opportunities. And we might see our world come alive as they encounter the one whose birth we celebrate.